In a few minutes here, our friend Mallory is going to come up and share her testimony. Um, in the next couple of months, Mallory will be taking quite the journey herself as she travels across the big ocean to a county called New Zealand. Thought I just, right. New Zealand, I just had to do that. I just had to do the accent. <laughs> I can't really do a British one, so I pulled out the New Zealand one for you. Um, anyway, so she's going to share with us her testimony, and as part of our life group, Mallory, we just want to say we have your back. Jesus has your back. He's guiding you. He has his hand on you, and he's ready to catch you if you ever fall. So um, we're just going to invite Mallory up here as she shares her testimony this morning. Well, welcome. Hi, everybody. I'm Mallory Vetter. Um, the Lord has always been abundant in my life. Growing up, I was chronically ill. Uh, I was diagnosed with asthma and epilepsy and uh, when I was 18 months old. I thank the Lord that around the age of three, uh, I was epilepsy-free. I continued to struggle with my asthma and had a weakened immune system. Around the age of 12 is when I found out that I had spondyloarthropathy arthritis, which is a form of rheumatoid arthritis. I spent countless days in the hospital and in and out of doctor's offices. Many doctors would tell my parents that this is the worst asthmatic case that they have ever seen. Each visit to the hospital, I wouldn't know if I would recover or not. Senior year was one of those years um, I that I believed that I wasn't coming home because my asthma had gotten so bad. But I did know that the Lord was present with his healing hand comforting me. And by the grace of God, I walked out the day before I graduated. The Lord provided me with strength and determination to accomplish anything I set my eyes towards. I praise the Lord when I get to say that I haven't been hospitalized in over five years. I worked hard to stay healthy and build strength, and I accomplished that all with God. After I graduated, I went to school to become an EMT firefighter. Now, I know what you're thinking. Being an asthmatic and being a firefighter, how can you do that? Um, but with God's help, I got to fulfill that dream to become a firefighter. Not only did I become a firefighter, I got to become a firefighter with a department um, that was one of Minnesota's largest volunteer departments. I even got accepted into their dorm program where I lived uh, in one of six dorms at the fire station. I truly knew that this was where the uh, Lord had called me to be. As the year went on, while living at the fire department, I started to go to church less and less, relying on myself to handle my own problems. I allowed myself to be influenced by others' choices. I started uh, getting, life started getting dark, and I started becoming someone I didn't know. I wasn't, it wasn't very easy to practice my faith. I was very lonely, and I had filled this with trying to fit into the boys' club, yet I still felt ostracized and criticized. The environment I was in consumed me. I started to make my own unhealthy decisions. I had hit rock bottom, and I thought that I was so far from God that I started becoming very depressed. And in a blink of the eye, I lost the fire department. I didn't know how bad it was until I opened my door one day, and I found a termination letter posted to the front of my door for everyone to see. You see, I realized that I had a problem with the fire department in the past, but I didn't know how bad it was. I closed the door, and I lost it. I wept, and I started having an anxiety attack. I was terminated. I had to move out in two weeks. 
while packing my belongings, I was texting a friend. My text read to this. It's difficult to be the person I was when your dreams are taken away from you and you can't do anything to stop it. It's hard to believe it's all over when I felt like it had just started. Once losing the fire department, I really had a hard time thinking I was worthy or good enough to do anything. I felt like I had nothing left to give. I cried constantly, asking God, if this wasn't his plan for my life, then why would he have led me here in the first place? I was starting to feel what exile felt like. I lost the thing I desperately wanted. Alone, relationally, I didn't feel worthy of God's love, even though I kept praying, why, God, why? I prayed and prayed for the Lord to be present in my life and for the Holy Spirit to guide me where he wanted me to be. I knew that I wasn't far from home with the Lord. Jeremiah 29:13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I started praying and talking to the Lord like I used to. I knew that I needed to start making changes in my life that would reflect someone of a follower of Christ. I started realizing I put so much of my worth into my job as a firefighter that I forgot who I was in Christ. February 24th, 2013, the Lord was leading me to go to church that morning. Little did I know that Restoration Covenant Church was starting a new series called Life Hurts. The sermon that morning was a reflection of what was taking place in my life. Pastor Rob was talking about how the Lord doesn't passively sit by and watch his children poison their lives, that he removes them from the situation and shows us his light if we openly allow him to. I could feel the Holy Spirit pressing on my heart, moving in and through me. I asked the Lord to be present and fully give my life to him again. A prayer partner prayed with me and over me, and I could feel God's presence in me, lifting off all of his baggage, all of the baggages that I had been carrying around with me. I truly could feel change happening in my life. Later that evening, I received a Facebook message from Liz Perry inviting me back to Life Group. I had attended Life Group before the fallout with the church, so it was important for me to start to go to Life Group again. I joined their Life Group, and it was a change to see new faces, but I felt the acceptance and love radiate from that group. God has given me freedom from my darkness. He has released me from the darkness into light, and he has given me beauty from ashes. And now I pray I would be a mighty oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. Well, good morning. Today's a special day. Uh, in the life of our church, it's called our planting day, where we move from being a church plant to a congregation that is welcomed into this place called the Evangelical Covenant Denomination. Say that really fast. Um, Now, later in the gathering, we're going to have some time to sign our names to a charter document to say, yes, we want to be a part of helping this church become all that God would have it be, to say yes to becoming a part of the covenant into this larger movement and ultimately the kingdom of God. But what does it exactly mean to be a member church Um, and part of a denomination? Because I kind of feel like we were moving along just fine, doing our thing, seeing people be healed by Jesus, seeing people understand who Jesus is, seeing people who are far from God come close to God, and all of a sudden we introduce words like member church, denomination, and membership, and people start to get weirded out, like especially me. Um, Because I didn't grow up in the covenant denomination. 
And uh, I've never been a huge denomination person. I remember in my hometown, we had Catholics, Lutherans, and then kind of everybody else. And um, I didn't really know what the differences were. But I've come to really deeply like these people known as the covenant. And I see the benefit of having some people around us, some support to make sure that we don't get off on our own thing or think we created some new radical thing. That's usually how cults get started. So I'm glad for that. Um, but understanding denominations good, just remember it's always secondary to the kingdom of God under Jesus. Always, always. And when I think about the question that I get asked most frequently since I started, it's this. So what kind of church is this? Like, restoration coming to church, right? So is that Lutheran? No, no, okay. I'm not against Lutheran, so what? No, it's covenant. Convent? No, no, no. It's not a convent. My Myers-Briggs did tell me in 11th grade that I should be a Roman Catholic nun, but, you know, a little counseling, I'm okay. It's not a convent. God has a sense of humor. It's not convenience. It's not something else. It's called the Evangelical Covenant. So I figured if we're going to sign on with this family of people, we should probably all know just exactly what we're signing up for and what exactly the covenant's about. But before we exactly talk about that, There's a deeper question. There's a more important question. And that's this. What kind of church do you dream about being a part of? I mean, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? What kind of church are we? And I'm not asking when I ask that question what denomination we're going to be or what kind of government we're going to have or if we're going to ever have a building or if we're ever going to start satellite campuses or if we're ever going to have church plants or if we're ever going to send missionaries. Not that stuff. Like the video that we just saw, at the core of it all, what is going to be the DNA or the essence of this seed that grows out? What is the bottom line deal? The blueprint, if you will. So that question, like what makes restoration, restoration covenant? So if I haven't asked enough questions now, what kind of church do you dream about being a part of? What makes this church what it is? Got to ask one more to set us up. This one's a little bit easier. Are you a camping person or are you a Ritz Ritz Carlton person? Okay, see, see the Rich Carlton, this is the one in Chicago. Um, it's on the top of the building. And this place is where it's at, okay? They have beautiful rooms, excellent views. You can choose between the city and the lake. And, uh, and it's got all kinds of amenities and great security. I mean, they have doorman security. You can't get your, ID, you can't get your door card without your, your ID, Plus, they don't put your room on the door card. So if you forget as you go up about 40 flights what exactly the room number was, you're kind of stuck. Plus, then once you get in the locked room, then you've got an extra lock inside it, the deadbolt, and then you've got an extra lock on top of that. Nobody's getting in. But it's great. Now, camping. Camping is a whole different story. 
Because you pull up, if you go to your local state park, there's often the sites that are around a common lawn. Sure, there's some trees, but there's usually a big open space. And you set up your tent, and there's no deadbolt on that thing. Uh, at least not on mine. And, um, and then you, you have your food sitting on a cooler, probably not locked, on a picnic table. That's your kitchen. No walls around that thing. And then your chair is likely around a campfire. No doors there. No doors to keep people out. In fact, as I remember as a kid growing up, my parents took me camping a lot, and we often went with my grandparents. And my grandparents, even though they had the motorhome creme de la creme deal, uh, there was no door on that thing. Uh, And we would sit by these campfires. And in fact, the campfire would attract people. We'd end up with three or four other strangers sitting around my grandparents' campfire, and I was like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, they would be talking like they'd been friends for years and years. We'd go to my... We'd go back, you know, and camp with my parents. I thought this was just a strange phenomenon that happened with my grandparents. Nope, we'd set up our campfire. All of a sudden, sunset would come. And as soon as that campfire just glowed, all of a sudden, people would just show up. And my parents would just start talking to them. And I'm like, what's going on? This is, there's not walls around this campfire. But walls and campfires have been around for thousands of years. When God led Moses and the Hebrew people out of Egypt, what did he lead them with? A cloud by day and a fire by night. And when, um, when, uh, sorry, I lost my place. When John the Baptist went out and baptized in the wilderness, he said, hey, I'm baptizing with water, but one's going to come greater. He's going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And when, when we're out in the wilderness, we're exposed. There's no walls. And fire, think about the benefits of fire. Fire gives us warmth. Fire gives us light. And really, fire gives us protection. The closer we are to it, the warmer we are, the, um, the brighter it is, and the, the more predators stay away. But the thing about fire is you can't control it. I mean, we've seen on the news how it can cause great damage. So, wait a second. Don't think great damage. Church, it's going to break down. Okay? But just go with me for a second. Now, I'm not knocking walls. I'm not going to beat up walls. Just Walls are good. They're useful. Walls hold up your house. Walls are holding up this building. Um, walls protect cities. When the Israelites marched around Jericho, big wall. Um, and, and walls, shepherds brought their sheep in uh, sheepfolds. There were walls around that. They kept the sheep from getting eaten by wolves. Good stuff. But ultimately, walls weren't as much about protecting as they were about keeping people out. The Jewish temple, even the Jewish temple, look at all the walls. I mean, they have everything divided up. They've got one part for non-Jews. They've got one part for Jewish women. They've got one part for Jewish men. They've even got a place for the priests, separate part. And then, of course, the Holy of Holies, which is just reserved for God, except for once a year. But all kinds of walls to keep everything separated. So are you more like Campfire or more like a Ritz-Carlton? And you're like, I bet the answer is Campfire. But see, I think most of us, I think most of us love walls. 
especially if we're religious. Religious people, they want to know who's in and who's out. And and the story that we're going to look at today is like the Stanley Cup of who's in and who's out. It is the ultimate who's in, who's out story. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn to uh, Luke 8. And we're going to read uh, a crazy, crazy kind of story. Luke 8 starts in verse 26. If you need a Bible, there's some in the back. Raise your hand. Someone will magically bring one to you. Luke 8 says that they, Jesus and the disciples, sailed to the regions of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from town. For a long time, the man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken through the chains, and they had been, and had been driven by the demon out into the solitary places, out into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, replied the demon, because there are many of me. And he begged Jesus repeatedly not to order him to go into the abyss, and so there was a large herd of pigs nearby. The demons begged Jesus to let him go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. So the demons went out of the man, went into the herd of pigs, and they ran off the hillside and drowned in the lake. And when the people that were watching the pigs went um, to see what happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, and then the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus got in the boat and they left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell God, tell the people, tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. God, I pray that, uh, that these wouldn't just be words on a page, but that they would be life to us. Teach us what it means for us today. Amen. I don't know if you see it, the in and out in this story, but it is just unbelievable. Okay, ready? I'm kind of excited. So first, you got to go to the first words, the Gerasenes. You go to the region of the Gerasenes. This, this word means the land of strangers, probably the land of Gentiles. And so, um, so Gentiles, out. Jews, in. Strangers, really out. All right? Then he goes and meets a demon-possessed man. Most people who are Jewish or religious, they don't like demon-possessed people. Demon-possessed, out. Jew, in. Okay? Now, he had many demons. They were called legion. A Roman legion meant 5,000. Very, very out. Follow me? Okay, so number three, naked. All right? I don't know if you've ever worn the wrong outfit. 
This was a big deal for me in junior high. Mom, I have to have the Jerbo jeans. I totally just stated myself. I have to. You don't understand. I won't have any friends if I don't have the Jerbo jeans. It's one thing to wear the wrong brand. It's another thing to not show up with any clothes. Okay? Wrong brand, out. Naked, very out. Clothing, good. All right? Fourth, homeless. He, he does not have a place to live. He is driven from town. He's living in a cemetery. Not just homeless, very out. Not in. He's a prisoner. He's chained and guarded. Not just, I did something wrong and I have to pay a fine. Chained and guarded, very, very out. And, and six, kind of extraneous, but not really... Pigs. Jewish people, pigs are bad. Pigs are unclean. You don't touch them. You're, you can't go to temple. You can't go in the temple if you touch pigs. There's not just one pig. There's lots of pigs. There's a herd of pigs that people are caring for them and probably eating them. So this is very, very out. The man could not be more outside of whatever in means. Are you catching that? Now, Jesus travels across the sea to the outside. He encounters a demon in a wild, naked man, and he's fine. Nobody else has encountered wild, naked men and not been not fine. I just, that's, okay, we're not going to go there. That's fine. (laughs) Just me. It's all right. Not everything works. So Jesus is just fine talking to a demon-possessed, wild, naked man. Okay. Who's also homeless and a prisoner. Jesus not only talks to him, Jesus sets him free. He not only sets him free spiritually by casting the demons out, I hope you can catch that part, but he sets him physically free as well. When the people come to, from town... Okay, those are the people that would be marked in. When they come to town, from town, out, and they see him dressed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means he would be a disciple of Jesus now. He would be a student of Jesus. He understands who Jesus is. They don't know what to do with that. He is spiritually freed. He is physically freed. And the people who are in freak out. Okay? They're afraid. They freak out. When the, the people who are watching the pigs go and they say how the man had been cured, then they really freak out. They're overcome with fear. And now they ask Jesus to leave. Do you ever see that with people? I can't understand it. I can't explain it. I can't control it leave. I don't know what to do with that. I'm going to put up walls. Now sometimes, sometimes we, when we don't know what to do, when we put up walls, we're not trying to hurt anybody. I think the majority of religion, if we give it, if we don't just beat it up, was not people trying to hurt anyone else. 
They just put up the walls because they wanted to make sense of spirituality. They wanted to make sense of some unique things in their faith. And they didn't try to hurt anyone. But walls separate. This man was totally separate. And we love control. People from all eras of all regions of the world like control. And when we can't have it, we start putting up walls. They didn't understand the man. They were afraid of the man, so they put him outside of town. Walls, walls, walls. Jesus comes. They were afraid of Jesus. They couldn't control Jesus, so they asked Jesus to leave. Walls, walls, walls. Do you see it? So when someone who is religious asks me, what does the covenant church believe? They're asking, tell me your set of beliefs. Okay? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the Trinity? What do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about sin? Which sins? What do you believe about the end times? What do you believe about baptism? What do you believe about spiritual gifts? I could just keep going till 12, but I'll stop. Um, but what they're asking is, where are your walls? What are your walls? It's, it's kind of called, it's called bounded set thinking or bounded set theory. I knew I was going to get to bring math in someday. And, and bounded sets say, this is the, these are the walls. This is what it means to believe, or this is what it means to be included in this set. Whether it's numbers, whether it's theology, no matter what it is. And, and it's very easy to see who's in and who's out. But the covenant doesn't really have walls. The best thing I can say is the covenant kind of has a campfire. We got six affirmations. They're going to come up here. Um, And we'll talk about them at some length for those who want to do something called membership. But let me just quickly go through them for a moment. The centrality of the word is an affirmation. We affirm that the Holy Scriptures, the Old and New Testament, are the word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. And this was written at a time when, when people were simply either not reading the Bible or they were reading the Bible to either pick it apart or to attack it or to put up walls between different sets of people. And so what we're saying when we say, I affirm this... We're saying that the word is not just pages of a book. The word is, and certainly the word is not information, but the word is the God in the story. It's the Jesus that is the Savior, and it's the Spirit who has the presence and power to actually transform people's lives when they read it. That's what we're saying. We're saying that we affirm the necessity of the new birth. That at the ultimate, hottest, brightest, whitest core of the fire is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that that place is, and that understanding is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that he, he defeated death, sin, and Satan, and that he offers forgiveness and acceptance and he offers life in his kingdom that starts now and goes forever. 
We call it eternal life. We call it the kingdom of God. Jesus calls it a lot of things, but that's what we're saying. And we're saying that's a kind of a necessity. We're saying the church is a fellowship of believers, which means that the church isn't a building, and it's, it's not um, somewhere we go. It's where and when we're gathered. That's church. And when we follow Jesus, anyone is a part of it. Doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your gender is, doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. We're all a part of it. And so good news, you're all pastors when you're a part of it. You're all theologians. So you don't read your Bible and study. Guess what? Well, let's start. Because you're all, this is what God calls us to. And we're all missionaries. God sends us everywhere. We all live out this way of Jesus. So we affirm that. We affirm that commitment to the whole mission of the church. Uh, This means that not only are we committed to living the way of Jesus, but we're committed to living the way of Jesus by the power of Jesus' spirit. So we can't do anything or be anything without his spirit. And the spirit gives us gifts. The spirit unites us. The spirit sends us into mission. And the spirit is like fire. It's really hard to control and so we often don't know what to do with that. He might not, he might do something new. We might have to be humble. We might have to listen. We might have to admit we're wrong. Like we thought that, we thought this, but then the Spirit showed us this. Now we're in a new place. And, and we affirm that, that we affirm the reality of the freedom in Jesus, which just, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it means we want to focus on what unites us as followers of Jesus rather than what divides us. So not walls, campfire. And if you come from another denomination or another way of thinking, that's okay. What, what unites us? Is it the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And if we can agree to that and we're okay with the other things that are a little bit farther from the fire then we can come and make s'mores together. And then maybe go back to our tent, which doesn't have a padlock on it, because we're not afraid. Because Jesus is enough. This is called centered set thinking. Um, And I love that. But a lot of people get weirded out by that. Because there's no walls. So who's in and who's out? Well, it's kind of hard to tell. Because some people are moving towards the center Some people are moving away from the center. In fact, it's more about direction than about some line. That's hard. It means that sometimes there might be an issue or a belief or a practice that we differ on. And and we have to try and allow for that, work through that, be kind to each other for that. And that's okay. But see, here's, here's why I go through all those things. Because that's when someone who is religious asks me what kind of church we are. But here's what happens when someone who's not religious asks me what kind of a church is a covenant church. Someone who's not religious doesn't really want to be religious, but might be interested in Jesus. Okay? You might have these people in your work, in your neighborhood, as your friends. And when they say, what does the covenant church believe? What does your group believe? Here's what they're asking. Is your group, or does your group, have walls that are going to keep me out? Or that are going to cause me to find the right key to try and get through the locked door, or climb over, or dig under, or go around, 
how hard is it going to be for me to find out what's in the Bible? How hard is it going to be for me to find out who Jesus really is? And how hard is it going to be for me to find out if God really, truly cares about me? So are you a campfire? Or are you a Ritz-Carlton? People who ask this are asking, can I warm myself by the fire of Jesus? Can I be welcomed? Can I be accepted? Can I connect with someone who will sit with me by the fire and listen to my questions and hear my doubts, not judge them, and and hear my, my concerns, my insecurities, maybe even my stubbornness? Not try and fix me, but just sit by the fire with me. And maybe let the fire warm me. Jesus wasn't about walls. At the end of the story, when the people ask him to leave, he leaves. And the demon-possessed man comes and says, Can I please come with? Can I please come with? And if Jesus would have said yes, he would have totally played into the walls. But he says, No. Go back to your city. Tell the people how much God has done for you. Because maybe when they hear it, they will be attracted to Jesus. Because if you come with, then surely you will be in, but they think they're in, and they'll be out, and no one might ever come back to the land of strangers. And Jesus even wants those people who beg him to leave to hear the good news. That's what Jesus did in Mallory's life. Physical and spiritual healing. Freedom from exile into this community of hope. Into a place where, where any of us can say, hey, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's called me to bring hope to those who don't have hope. And, and heal the baggage of the brokenhearted. And proclaim freedom for captives and release of darkness for prisoners and and bring hope to those who are needy. That's that's the kind of place I dream about being a part of. Mallory, you want to come up and tell us what God is doing now? I believe that when God... um, I believe... Sorry. I believe we are all called to be on a mission... And I thought that I would fulfill this call through firefighting. During that dark time as a firefighter, the Holy Spirit had woke me up in the middle of the night, and I heard YWAM, Youth with a Mission. So I got up, I went online, and I found a medical training base in New Zealand um, for training and outreach. But I told God, no, I'm a firefighter. After my time of exile, again, God woke me up in the middle of the night with the same words, YWAM. So I went on the same website, but this time I said, okay, I will listen. So I researched it. I went through a long and challenging application process, and then I was accepted on a five-month medical mission. I believe when God calls us, he also equips us. As a church, our job is to walk in God's ways in order to see his full blessing in our lives, like great trees planted by a river. I need prayers for wisdom, discernment, protection, direction, and for God to transform my life.
I know that there is power in prayer. I thank you for accepting me, especially when I felt outside of in. And thank you for sending me with your blessings in a few weeks. So as the worship team comes up, what kind of church do you dream about being a part of? If you're visiting today, um, it's still a valid question. If you're here and you've been wondering, um, man, let's not wait any longer. Let's do this. Mallory, um, our leadership team prayed, and we want to figure out how to commit a portion of our missions budget as we become a, a new church to you. And, and so as we, in the next couple weeks before you go, work out the details of that budget, um, we just want to know that we're trying to get you. We're not trying. We're committing to give you part of that money. Um, and God's got to make it happen. Uh, we've been giving to missions and church planting for three years. In three years, we've actually given over $50,000 to missions, to church planting, to outreach, and to further training and equipping. And I just do a horrible job of telling you that. I'm sorry. I do. So we're getting a communications team together. Uh-huh, because we got to get that better. Um, but, but I'd love to see 50000 go out every year. I'd love to see this happen every other month. Send someone out. Thanks, Carol. You can. We're going to pray. Get up here. Pray. So then we're going to sign and then we're going to go. It's going to be awesome, maybe. The charter's saying, I want to be part of this movement of Jesus. And when I sign the charter, um, I'm here to see a community of people restored by Jesus to restore what's broken in the world. So Mallory, we know that you're going to go with that, and uh, we pray for you right now. Lord, thank you that you take us from places of exile. Because all of us put ourselves in exile. We choose comfort over you, Jesus. We choose, we think money, more money will be more opportunity. That we think, um, that we put our hope in all kinds of other stuff. And if we don't put it in you, it's ultimately going to come up short. Thank you for Mallory's willingness to be kind of exposed and vulnerable this morning, God. Um, because in that, she was more like a campfire than, than a walled up hotel. God, I pray that as we allow you to burn brightly wherever we go, that people will be attracted to your warmth and your light. And even in that, you will be protecting us. So I pray for, for all of us as we dream about what kind of a place and what kind of a people we could be to see others that are outside of in be able to come in. For us not to be the ones who get to put up walls or decide things, but for us to trust you. Amen.